Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. My name is Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, the acquisitions manager here. Um, and today we've got a special guest joining us today, um, Margaret Cook. Um, Margaret has a book, A River with a City Problem. And um, I hope I get this all right, Margaret, but PhD in history from University of Queensland, research fellow at Australian Rivers Institute of Griffith Uni and La Trobe University. And Margaret is an environmental environmental historian whose research interests include flood, natural disasters, rivers and climate. Welcome. Lovely to meet you both. Thank you. How did I go? Did I get that right? Yeah, it did. Thank you very much. <laughs> Perfect. It's really, I'm really interested today. I, I know you do a lot of work and obviously writing your book, Margaret, um, and it's it's something that does interest us a lot. We do a lot of research when we look at property and we're, when we're looking at flooding and, and we do talk about the flooding a lot. We've helped some um, guests, uh, some clients of ours who have been affected by floods um, and help them buy other properties that are um, not in not in flood areas, um, so it's really uh, interesting, and I think you'll you'll be able to share our listeners to our listeners a lot of information today, which is going to be very interesting, and obviously it might spark them to go and get your book and read that as well. Yes, uh, Margaret, I know that um, I have reviewed your book myself. Um, So A River with a City Problem is the book that we're going to be talking about today. It was published by the University of Queensland Press in 2019. And I believe there's now an updated edition, Margaret, that follows the flood event of 2022. Is that the case? That is the case. It came out a couple of months ago because it was good to compare the floods because every flood is different. Absolutely, and congratulations on on the book and your success today. And we're intrigued with your research. Obviously, as property buyers here in Brisbane, um, a lot of people are very concerned about the impact of flood on homes throughout the city. Before we get into discussing, you know, whether Brisbane has a city problem because we were originally just a river um, or vice versa, can you share with us what led you to write the book? Well, I'm interested in people. I, I think everyone's got a great story so there's lots of stories in that book and I also like moments of historical tension because I think they tell you a lot about society and you don't get times that are much more tense than a flood so it was a really interesting topic and I'd lived through the 2011 floods and seen the what had happened and I I started as an historian I look for history to give me answers and I started looking for a book that had written about the floods and I couldn't find one so I wrote one. Absolutely. So you fill the void and um, and what better way to fill the void than talking about real people and, and real stories. I know um, the 2011 floods here in Brisbane were absolutely devastating. I think that we all felt that it was the flood that was never meant to be because, you know, Wyvernhoe Dam was built to prevent future river floods here in Brisbane. And yet here we were watching as our city went underwater. And I recall it was an eerie day because as the river was rising, the rain had stopped and it was a bright blue sunny day um, and we were hearing stories of the inundation and evacuations and everything that was happening throughout our city and it was a scary time it was a scary time for people whose homes weren't being impacted so i cannot even imagine what sort of you know time those people whose homes were being um, engulfed by waters uh, would have had so it's fantastic that you've been able to capture some of those stories and and talk through some of the issues associated with you know, why Why Brisbane has been built on this floodplain. 
Yeah. And, and you've already touched on a couple of stories there because one of the biggest myths is that Wyvernhoe will save us, but mm. it only works if the water falls in the right place at the right time. And what happened last year is in 2022 is it didn't. It fell downstream of those dams. And we've got a lot of myths and misconceptions about Brisbane and its flood history, and that's what I was trying to address. So I didn't this one. No, that's right. I was going to actually say, and, and you sort of you touched on a little bit then as well, Margaret, like obviously 74, 2011, 2022, how different they were. And obviously you've, you've looked into those different areas, hence you've sort of updated the book as well. Um, the difference in those floods is, is quite amazing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and just to give you an idea, in 1893, which is the biggest floods we've had in you know, British occupation, uh, there were two floods in one month, and those two floods were both really different. One was right up in the catchment and one was downstream. Um, so, you know, even within one month, we can have two really large floods that are completely different. And I don't, I think we've got this sort of crazy idea, really, that we've lived through one flood so we know what we'll expect, but they're never the same. Absolutely not. And, you know, I think one thing that a lot of people do have real concerns about in relation to buying in Brisbane, the complexities around um, the Brisbane landscape because of our flood risk are very, very different to buying in a lot of other cities around Australia. I know there's a lot of people that might be from um, other capital cities, from regional areas that do come to Brisbane, that they're looking to buy a home here, or they may in fact be looking to invest in property here. And it's a very different landscape and a lot of people seem to apply the same principles as buying elsewhere without uh, really considering um, the true impact of flood. Um, and I think his, his, history repeats, I suppose, um, the flood that was never meant to be, 2011, um, and then the flood last year, two very different events. Um, however, they've left scars in different ways for different people. And um, what we would like to unpack today is, um, is more around your story of flood management in cities, um, you know, helping us to understand um, some of the water management um, principles that, that are implemented to, to help prevent floods and things like that. Obviously, um, your book addresses a lot of these challenges and complexities. Um, you discuss the impacts of urbanisation and development on flood-prone land as well. Can you elaborate on some of the ways in which um, urbanisation or, you know, the development of the land has altered the natural um, flow of water through our landscape? Yeah, absolutely. If you think about even 1974 floods, some of our areas were very green. They were open plains. Like you look at Oxley, it was a farmland. So it would absorb a lot of that water. And every single time we build another driveway or another car park, it's a hard surface. And trees and grass can absorb water, concrete can't. So what those do is they change the flow rate and they change the flow regime. So just because it didn't flood in the last flood doesn't mean it won't the next time because you might have 20 more neighbours than you had last time. Mm -hmm. We're building a lot of blocks that don't have very big gardens and a lot of urban density because we don't want urban sprawl and that's got other issues. So we, we're putting a lot more people in the same little area and people really want to live in the inner city and just because of the way our city is designed, that tends to be near the river. So with all that construction, it's actually compounding some of the problems. It's interesting that you say that because I know um, Scott and I live in Wilston. Our podcast audience know that, um, you know, that's where, where we've always called home, especially for the last 22 years. Um, 
Parts of Wilston were significantly impacted uh, last year in the 2022 floods. However, in the 2011 floods, um, there was far less impact in our local area. And as you've mentioned, it's because of the different types of floods and where the, the rain actually falls in relation to the catchment areas and the time frame in which that rain falls. You mentioned um, that, you know, the development of land um, prevents the, the water penetrating in when you've got these hard surfaces. Even since last year, it absolutely um, is gobsmacking to us where some of the homes in our local area have been lifted, but it's not the fact that they've been lifted to avoid flood impacted, uh, the future <coughs> flood impacted. It's the fact that they've also um, infilled the land beneath them and added concrete slabs. Um, we, you know, watch on as this ha is happening in, in the suburb that we live in, knowing that next time there's a major flood event, it's going to push the water into someone else's home. Um, yes. Why do you think this keeps happening? Well, um, part of the problem is um, regulations. Some of these regulations let us do that. And so we, I think we've actually got to start being a little bit tougher about some of these things because we're just really pushing the problem downstream. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the problem. And the other thing you, that you mentioned that I think I need to add to this conversation is some cities just flood because of river floods. We get lots of different floods. <laughs> we get creek floods, which is what we got in 2022. We get flash flooding. You know, we have... We're the tropics, we're the subtropics. We can get 200 millimetres in an afternoon, right? Some parts of the world get that in months. Mm. So we can get that. So, um, and then we get the riverine flooding, which was the 2011 floods particularly. So and we can get a combination of all of them. So that sort of happened in 2022. So I think people get a bit um, complacent about mm -hmm. floods because of where they live. We also get droughts and then they get really complacent. And during droughts, we see a lot of really bad development go ahead because we forget the floods. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should be forgetting them so quickly this time around. I can still remember my house very well and I won't forget that rain in a hurry. So I, I find it amazing, actually, that people will take that risk because the old Queenslanders that are raised allowed the water to get away. Yep. But the minute you put a room underneath or a concrete slab, it's going to pour somewhere. The water will always find the path of least resistance. You only have to be a kid playing at a creek to know that. Um, so the floods don't change that behaviour. That's what floods do. So we're making it up easier in some ways for them to enter our houses. So that's what they'll do. I, some of the work that we do in the when we're looking at property, Margaret, we and we've we've had this discussion a few times, and we've shown some people that don't really know Brisbane that well. And we'll look at, for example, the the forty six aerial photography. Um, and there's no houses in some areas that are down near the river. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden we must have got smarter and we knew how to build near the river and, you know, all those houses, a lot of those houses went under in the floods, unfortunately for them as well. But I also, as, as Melinda touched on, you know, we, we can draw around certain areas, not only the houses have been lifted, the building under, but we've seen other developments where they're building new, even a new estate recently we looked in, and it used to be a caravan park and they've lifted that land up. They're building new homes in there. We've seen some other, like whether it's shopping centres and things like that, where they just they build it up an extra metre or so. Living in our neighbourhood in the last flood, our street, luckily for us, we're in a higher part, which didn't affect us at all. But the lower part of our street, some of our neighbours, they've never been flooded before. And all of a sudden that water was just coming up the street and we were just completely amazed at, at what we'd seen. We'd never seen that before in our life. And all of a sudden this water's coming up our street, which has never happened. And it's obviously being pushed away from somewhere else. Yeah. 
And look, someone on the north side told me about an old creek that had been filled in. Some of that infill under that infill is an old creek way, and that's where the water's going to go. So, you know, I think we think there's an arrogance about humans that we contain nature, um, and that came very much with the British settlement mentality that we can just engineer our way out of any of these problems. We can fill in land, we can fill in a creek, we can build a bigger dam. But the reality is, is again, we're in the subtropics. This is what this is what happens. So um, I think there's been an incredible resistance to accept our climate. Mm. It's so interesting, um, and Scott touched on it before, um, when we look at that 1946 aerial photography and then we can overlay the flood maps of Brisbane, uh, the majority of homes, um, there were still some that lay in flood zones, but the majority of homes um, were in the more elevated parts of the city. Since then, of course, as Brisbane has become a more populated city, um, it's become more densely populated and we've used that land um, to create housing for people. We've also used that land to create units and, and townhouses, so much higher density living. We're wanting, obviously, to allow for homes, um, you know, provide accommodation for people close to where the work and, and the jobs are in the CBD. Um, however, it's such a catch-22 situation as we've developed this land, as you've mentioned, um, we've created um, surfaces that are no longer likely to absorb the water. We're pushing that water elsewhere. So as our city develops, um, even today when we have consultants that um, contribute to development objectives such as stormwater consultants and engineers and, you know, these people obviously are engaged to prevent impact of floodwaters during these flood events and yet some of these developments still get approved. Sometimes I beg to differ, you know, what are we trying to um, achieve? And, and despite all of our efforts to prevent future flood risk, we seem to be just pushing flood water from one location to the next. What, what are your comments in relation to, to that process? It seems so hard to get approvals through. And yet when they do get through, some of the um, things that are approved just seem ludicrous. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. But I also think that sometimes these solutions that we find are just for that little property mm -hmm. um, and, and we don't look downstream or upstream. And so we really are transferring it. So, you know, the developer might be looking at that, that property description, you know, um, and that's really good for that house or whatever, but they're not really thinking about the, the other impacts. One of the things that's interesting is fl floods to me are very cultural. That's why I'm interested in them. And one of the things that Australians love, and I'm in, very interested in your opinion as property people, is we've have, we have this love of the house, the single house on the single block, and we don't particularly like high-rise and we don't really like apartments, say, as in as compared to, say, Europe. Mm -hmm. So we end up with a lot of single houses in, in very low-lying land that's flood-prone. If we change that mindset and we maybe embrace the high-rise the high or the low-rise at least and move to those drier areas, we could still have that intense development near the train lines, near our work, but we wouldn't get these little houses on all of this low-lying land. And I think, again, as Brisbane's growing so fast and we do have a housing crisis, I think there is a, not only a need but an imperative that we really, really think about how we want our city to look like in the future. We're the fastest growing area. We've got a lot of people who don't know this environment. They're new to the area. Climate change is, you know, out there and the floods aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So I think we have to have some pretty grown-up conversations about we want our property market to look like in the future or our kids are going to be inheriting a mess. 
Yeah, I, th- I think it, that's a really good point, Margaret. And I know that we've all, we, everyone, I, everyone talks about that house and the land and, you know, the bigger plot of land, that, that's what everyone's probably desired and aimed for as well. We, we've talked about this on our podcast for quite a while now about the unit market in Brisbane changing and how the unit's becoming more and more popular. And what, look, I think Brisbane is changing, um, whether it's in, uh, whether we're influenced from all the people that have moved up from down south. Um, we talk about that as well, saying they, they've been used to living in units in Sydney and Melbourne and places like that. Brisbane's had a big backyard where they, you know, we play cricket and football in the backyard. And, um, and, and it's obviously their memories for families to have those sort of things. But I think also people are looking for lifestyle a little bit. So we're starting to change where we're changing to, I don't want to mow the lawn on my weekends. I want to go to a coffee shop or I want to have that lifestyle and I'll use the park down the road instead of mowing my own lawn as well. Um, so I think Brisbane is starting to change and I think it's a good point you're talking about. We, we do have to think and be a bit smarter of how we want to live because to avoid these disasters, it's it's something that, you know, we've I've seen friends, family, people that have gone through um, floods and it's it's devastating it's just it's so devastating to go through that to lose everything that you own um, I think people will change the way that they think and, and Brisbane will change that way as well yeah. Margaret I'd like to um, actually ask you if you know anything about the buyback schemes that the Brisbane City Council are offering some flood impacted um, homes obviously you know, off the back of the significant flood event in 2022, um, council have come forward and and they're actually buying back some of these homes. Can you provide any insights into that scheme for the listeners? Yes. Look, I think it's a really great scheme. It's voluntary, so people can volunteer their homes. The criteria are strict, so it has to be houses that get flooded more regularly and particularly inundated. Uh, and it's a great start is how I describe it. It's enough money to buy about 500 houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, you know, compared to the 1,500 or whatever, that 9,000 or whatever, floods every time. It's a, it's a, it's a start. Uh, I think it's a really, really good scheme. And the other part of that scheme is also where they're doing retrofitting some houses mm-hmm. and we're getting rid of the chipboard and the, you know, the, uh, the veneers and so on and actually going back to hardwoods and co- polished concrete floors and different furniture and things you can remove. Mm-hmm. And they might sound quite small, but if you've got rugs rather than carpets or you've got uh, different sort of wall structures, you can clean out a house a lot faster. And we actually could see that in the 74 floods. People actually recovered a lot, lot faster than they did in 2011. And that was because we had the old um, hardwood houses. So mm-hmm. I'm actually really excited that, by that program because I think it's something that we can all do a little bit, even if we just raise light switches and and things like that all of those things make a difference and they can get you back into your home faster so i think as a whole the program's great i'd like to see more money in it but then there's lots of competition for government funds so margaret i picked up on something you talked about earlier when you talked about hard services and i I, to be honest i never really thought of it that way um i was probably thinking of more building and dwellings and and that type of thing but when you talk about hard services compared to um, gardens and plants and grass and whatnot. I, I probably never thought of it that way, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Um, when we're talking about the, the the buyback, is there any idea what the council's thoughts are on doing with those houses? Are they going to remove those houses and turn them into parkland, or what? What is there any plan that you know of? Yes. So the houses will be bought that are bought back will not be allowed to be built on again. So there's a. I think there's a great opportunity there. Because we're talking about these lifestyle things that we want. And if we're going to be living in 
um, denser suburbs, that's a potential for dog parks or rewilding or some community gardens. I mean, I think if we start thinking creatively, we can actually redesign our cities. And those parts, because they're in the parts that flood, are naturally going to be more fertile and they'll be along a river. So aesthetically pleasing areas could become really quite a different way of living in our city. So nothing will be built there. So what they have to hope, one of the problems is because it's voluntary, they might not all be together. There might be one person who doesn't sell. So I think they then need to have a futures fund that they can buy that house later, or otherwise the council is going to have to service one house. But if you end up with a whole street that becomes a really long walk, you know, you could plant that with Morton Bay figs and it could be a really beautiful picnic area and a community asset. Yeah. And an area, obviously, that recovers so quickly in the event of future flood events without impacting lives because it, it is, you know, public accessible parkland as opposed to someone's home. And it becomes a natural flood soak. So mm. all the water that goes into that area won't go into the house behind it anymore because that park will absorb some more water. So it will actually be a flood mitigation strategy as well. It's a great idea. And um, the other thing that um, I've heard, and I don't know whether you can confirm, is that council are also assisting some um, property owners to raise their home. Is that something that, that you're aware of as well? Yes, they're doing that as well. So that's um, that's a different scheme, but in that whole package, there's those three ideas. And that's a really good idea. That doesn't work for the really bad areas because houses can wash away. Um, but in the areas where it's only going to be a metre or something, that can make a very big difference because it keeps it out of the living areas. Mm. And, of course, then it's what those um, property owners do once those homes are lifted because the idea is, of course, to perhaps um, slat it out underneath and allow that water to pass through and not build in underneath just because you've raised that property. Is that is that the case? Yeah, that's the case. It's meant to be left open and free for water to come through. You can put a uh, you know, play area or something under there, but you're not to build it into a room. So, yeah, that's the idea. Are there any um, other design changes that you've heard of in, in the work that you've done um, that could be made to homes that are built in flood-impacted areas? Obviously, raising houses is one thing. Um, are there any other design changes? You've mentioned materials um, as well. Can yes. you add any extra perspective there? Yeah, so materials can make a very big difference and they can be things that you don't really think about. Even having a door that opens outwards lets you slosh mud through rather than having a door that opens inwards. Or even having a step up to get into a room, that forms a natural dam for getting mud out. So even having flat surfaces that you can just sweep things through makes a really big difference. They're putting cabinetry that you can remove. So it's on a little leg of like stainless steel leg and then you can move that whole cabinetry up. One of the things that Brisbane often has to its advantage, and particularly when it's a river flood, is you mentioned how in 2011 the sun was shining. The water was already in the river, so we actually had a day to empty out our houses. So if your house has removable furniture and you've got rugs rather than carpets and you know where you can take it, you know, there's community sheds on high ground, we will save a lot of material. So those things are really good because so much ends up in the dump now. We can save that. So the, the, there's the design factors there of changing things so you can get out, you can clean it out, you can raise even having your air conditioning not on the ground. Think, think Don't have your lift shaft with the mechanism in the ground. They're now moving them up to the roof. Th those things all make a difference. Um, we know, then, sorry, I was going to say on that one, Margaret, we know someone that was in, in a flood and wanted to stay there yeah. um, and they actually built their staircase when they, they built up 
on top of the house to do another level. And they actually built their staircase wider than normal so they could carry their furniture up the stairs when oh, when the flood when the flood came along. <laughs> yeah. Well there's a pub in um, Maryborough, I think, that actually has all its beer and furniture on pulleys because they get flooded a lot. So they just move everything up to higher ground and keep drinking. <laughs> it's about being smarter, isn't it, as opposed to, you know, um, continuing to do something that, that now has proven to not be the solution that's right. Um, Margaret, obviously, Brisbane's not the only city in the world that, um, you know, has been built on a floodplain. There's, I'm sure, through your research, um, so many other locations that have a similar problem to Brisbane. Um, in the research and the interviews that you've done as part of your work, have you come across any innovative approaches, um, any technologies that other cities are already implementing that that Brisbane could try um, that we're not already um, trying? Yeah, um, Germany does a lot because it's it floods a lot. So they but they don't have tropical rivers, so they're slower. But their houses are very much designed so they can clean them out. So that's one thing. Even the people on the river, they're quite used to that. There's also some new technology that's coming in that you can almost get um, your own personal dike yeah, that um, will prevent the water coming into your house. So as long as your stormwater is adequate to be able to take that water, then then that that's new technology that's being tried. So that can help yeah but um one of the things is just our drainage is is old some of our suburbs are very old and the drainage was built for 50 houses and now it's coping for 100 houses so even some things we can do that they're doing more and more and they've started doing in milton and places is changing our drainage so that it, the water doesn't come back out over the out of the drains it'll stay there and go out to storm water so uh, again, that's just fairly simple technology. And at a personal level, you can make your own stormwater pipes wider and bigger and your drainage better. You know, we clean up the storm season. We've got to probably go one step further and not just clean our gutters but make our drains bigger. So, you know, again, that's a practical thing that the individual can do. That's something that nobody does. I, well, not I won't say nobody, but we do talk about it with investors or people buying property as well. And that's something we talk about is clean your gutters out, maybe maybe put some gutter guard to stop leaves and things like that going in the gutter. But people people look up above. People don't tend to look down below. And you, you've got to, it's a smart thing because the water's got to go somewhere. And if, it, if you don't get it down below moving, it yeah. will get stuck up top um, and eventually it'll just bubble up and you'll create that, that overflow and that water as well. Well, we discovered that our stormwater of our property just ran into the neighbours. It didn't go down to the, the stormwater drains at all. So any water that fell on our roof just went next door. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not really a long-term solution for dealing with um, with water and, and water management. Um, yeah. Margaret, I would love to ask you, um, and, and it's a bit of a hypothetical question if you like, but, you know, if you had a, a bigger say, if you had a voice, um, if you were in the town planning or council, what is it that you would change? What changes would you implement um, to ensure that Brisbane as a city, which will continue to grow and become more densely populated, obviously what we've done until now, um, you know, we, we can't change that, but what would you implement from today moving forward to ensure that our city um, has the ability to sustain these flood events and, and move forward from these flood events um, without the huge impact that we've seen in the most recent um, events of 2011 and 2022. What sort of ideas would you provide? 
One of the things that I talk about a lot is we're very reactive. We actually spend 97% of our money cleaning up, 3% preventing, and that just makes me cry. So I would start by zoning areas that we just can't build on. That You know, we have areas in forests that we don't let because of fire. So there are just areas in Brisbane that should just be a no zone. Um, I, and so that would be immediately stop the problem getting worse. Yeah. I would move more people. Mm-hmm. And I would start looking at really areas that we can sustainably move to and expand. There are other, there are some suburbs in Brisbane that don't flood, so mm-hmm. we just have to focus our attentions on those. We need a better public education program so that you know, in in, in schools and people moving to the area, so that they really know what the risk is. Under our legislation, we don't have to tell people that the area floods. They do mm-hmm. that in New South Wales and Victoria. That would be a really easy thing to change. And um, that's really a piece of paper legislation that yeah. says, right, well, it shouldn't, it shouldn't just be buyer beware. I think there's an ethical thing that we should educate people and then they can take the risk because people mm-hmm. do take amazing risks. So mm-hmm. that would be I would stop making the problem worse. I would move people out of danger. I would change the building code so we are actually thinking about how we live in a sustainable climate and that would include recycling water and our drought provisions because that's what's going to happen next Mm. and think about how we really seriously want this city to look like in 20 years and what do we want the next flood to look like and stop it looking like it did for the last three it's interesting that you say what do we want the next flood to look like because there will be another flood here in brisbane um the question is what type of flood will that be and i know you have highlighted a really important point in that in Queensland, there is no seller disclosure requirements. So um, I know a lot of buyers that may not partner with a buyer's agent, they will rely on what a sales agent tells them. The sales agent, um, and and we know before 2011 floods, even before the 2022 floods, um, we've had sales agents tell us, but the property hasn't flooded. I think, you know, it, it was close in 76, but it hasn't flooded. And these are the same agents that I had conversations with following both flood events in 2011 and 2022 and said, you said it hadn't flooded, but it was in the flood overlay. And this is why we would always avoid it for our clients because just because it hasn't flooded doesn't mean it won't. And low lying areas nearby obviously are also at risk. So sellers um, don't have any obligation to disclose. And a sales agent is not the person that you go to for information about previous flood events. Buyers must do their own due diligence um, until there's any changes to those seller disclosure laws. And um, for listeners, uh, we did our podcast just last week on seller disclosure. So really important that you go back and um, um, tune into that um, if you haven't um, already listened to that episode. Um, Actually, at the time of recording, um, the podcast did go up last week. That was the second week in July. By the time this podcast goes up, I'm sure it's going to be um, a few weeks from now. Margaret, it's interesting. I, I know that we talk about all these things and you see the ads on TVs and they say if it's flooded, forget it. Don't put your, don't put your car in there. But, yeah, we put houses in there. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. Yeah, but yeah. when they you look at these low-lying areas, I, look, I think the work you're doing and the research you've done is, is quite amazing. Um, I think some people need to probably read your book um, and I'd probably I rec- recommend people ha- have a read of A River With A City Problem, which I, when you read that name, I thought it was interesting as well because... It is, it is, and we built the city on this river. Um, we didn't put the city, the river through the city. So um, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing. I think people need to really do their research um, when they start to 
to, to look at property and what they're doing. I think, as you said, the, the buyback, the grass, all those types of things. Um, there's a lot to learn from people. And I think we can be a lot smarter with what we do. Before we wrap it up, Margaret, I would love to ask you one one more question. And, and that is for those people that do read your book, um, what is the one big takeaway that you'd like them to, to hold on to um, as a result? What message did you want them to take away? Oh, that's a really good question and a really yes. hard one. <laughs> um, apart from the one you've just said about do your homework is, uh, you know, there's, there's very powerful myths out there. You know, they won't flood again. We've one in a hundred. Um, don't believe myths. Do your own research. Um, talk to your elderly neighbours in the region. History will help you. So yeah. I'm a, I think um, no two floods will be the same. And if you live in a street called Wharf Street or Riverfront Road, take a little <laughs> clue from that one. And do just be a little bit more of where your surroundings are. We've got 22 creeks in Brisbane. If you're near one of them, maybe just ask around a bit. Absolutely. Um, fantastic advice. Um, and I think that um, just to mention again for those listeners that didn't write it down at the beginning of the episode, A River with a City Problem by Dr. Margaret Cook. Um, highly recommend it if you are interested in the history of, um, you know, how Brisbane um, was built on the floodplain, some of the flood mitigation methods that um, have not worked, um, what we need to do and what we need to consider in the future as we continue to grow and, and develop as a city. Thank you, Margaret. Um, as Look, it's been really good chatting. I think um, we've had a good insight. I've learned a few things as well, so um, which has been, which is great. So thank you very much for taking your time out to have a chat with us today. We thank really you. appreciate it. I love it. talking to both of you and you've tested me with a few curly ones, so thank you very much. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. We appreciate your time. I know that you've probably got a very busy schedule. Um, our listeners will really value the, the information that you've shared today. So thanks once again. Thank you very much. Well, look, as usual, I will let Melinda wrap it up um, and um, close things out. It's been great chatting and um, we'll talk to our listeners again next week. Thanks very much for listening from me. Bye for now. Thank you, everyone, once again, for tuning into the Brisbane Property Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, um, please don't forget to leave us a review and share the episode with friends and family, anyone that could benefit from the information that we share. A big shout out to those that we see on weekends um, at Saturday Opens. Very happy when you come up and say hi. Um, it always gives us a bit of a buzz, so please do keep doing that. Until next week, we will speak to you again then. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.